This is the Dexter First Pentecostal Church Podcast. Dexter First Pentecostal Church is located at 1213 North One Mile Road in Dexter, Missouri. Our current service times are Sunday morning at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Today's message is entitled, You Cannot Drive What Was Designed to Be Carried. It was preached by Pastor Jeff Wells on Sunday, February 21st, 2021. Our hope and prayer is that today's message is a blessing to you. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 3. The Bible says, So they set the ark of of God on a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab. The Bible says they drove the new cart. David had become king. He was bringing the ark of God back into its rightful place. But those of you that know the scripture know that this did not turn out well. Amen. And the reason being is what I want to speak to you this morning concerning, and that is you cannot drive what was designed to be carried. You cannot drive what was designed to be carried. Lord, we love you. We thank you this morning for your spirit. We're thankful for your word. And I pray, God, as you give us instruction today, God, I pray you give us understanding. We thank you, Lord, today for your blessings. We're thankful, God, for your goodness and your mercy. I pray, God, as you will anoint each of our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Praise God. You can be seated. Praise God for a moment. In Hunt County in Texas, the locals there, they know that they are not to drive on County Road 3301. It appears in a person's GPS that it is a shortcut. It, on your journey, will save you about four miles. But, in fact, it is nothing but trouble. County Road 3301, it starts out paved on each end, but quickly it begins to narrow, and then it turns to gravel, then it turns to dirt, and if it has rained lately, it turns to mud. Again, most GPS units think that County Road 3301 is a perfectly acceptable route, a shortcut, Uh, shortening your journey, getting you there a little quicker. Amen. Uh, This individual, I was reading this story, said that his had recommended it several times, but he said, I always stayed on the main roads until one fateful night. County Road 3301 started beckoning him to go onward. With its reasonably wide pavement, he said, I was making good time and Even when it began to narrow a bit to gravel, the footing was firm and it was nearing the halfway point. But then with no streetlights and no houses, the dirt started and then it became mud. It seemed too dangerous to try to turn around, so he said, I just continued powering through several muddy stretches until I was trapped, as he said, by the granddaddy of all mud holes. Mud was up to the bottom of my door. The first record service I got a hold of, he said, I, they asked where I was, and he said, I told them I was on County Road 3301. 
They said, we don't go down County Road 3301. And they told me to call Mr. So-and-so, and they said, he's the only one that will go anywhere. He said, $375 later, I was at leisure to consider the error of my way. Shortcuts are not always the best choice to make. Amen. Shortcuts are tempting. <laughs> if, you th- if you think about, if I can just shorten the journey, if I can just make it a little bit easier, and I'm all for the, the statement, working smarter rather than harder, but, but sometimes shortcuts are not a wise decision. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 13, he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, he said, that go therein by it. One translation says, don't look for shortcuts to God. Amen. What, what seems to be a convenient choice or something that's easy uh, when it comes to your journey with God, I'm here to tell you most of the time, if not always, shortcuts are a bad decision. Proverbs, the wise man, Solomon, who wrote, uh, amen, in Proverbs 21 and verse 5, he said, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Shortcuts, as the scripture declares, it can lead to poverty. Shortcuts can lead to mistakes. Proverbs 19 and verse 2. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. Shortcuts may seem profitable in the short term, but I'm here to tell you this morning that they will never get us anywhere when you consider the long term. In Psalms 37 and verse 7, amen, he says, Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. But he says to be still in the presence of the Lord. How many here have been are thankful for the presence of God that we have been able to feel? This goes so much more than, than just a, a feeling or even that of, a, of an experience. Amen. But, but the, the presence of God is... It, it goes, it's much deeper than that, much more than that. Uh, and David says uh, to be still, to, to, to relish in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. I, I realize I've been there and I've done it, I've done it too many times, more times than I would like to admit, but, but I have gotten impatient uh, and I have began to do things on my own and I have quickly understood, and even though uh, it's something that I still, that, that, that uh, lack of patience uh, is a battle within me, uh, but I'm, un, I'm here to tell you, and, and I think we all understand this, uh, that God can do more in a moment's notice uh, than what you and I can do in a lifetime. It really pays. Uh, Amen. To wait for Him to act. To wait for Him to open the door. To wait for Him, amen, to order the steps and direct the paths. I don't want to lean on my own understanding, but I want to rely upon the one who sees the end while standing at the beginning. God knows what He's doing. He's the author. He's the finisher of my faith. And so for me, amen, to try and make a shortcut, I've got to follow 
follow God. And if I will not be weary in well-doing, I will reap in due season if I faint not. Hallelujah. But David says, don't worry about the evil people who prosper. He also wrote in Psalm 73, he said, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. There are no trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the wicked. He's talking about those who don't, don't live for God, if you will. He's talking about those that, that, as Jesus said, they're at the wide gate. Many people are there. It looks like they're being blessed. It looks like they've got, the, they've got everything good. Amen. He said, I was troubled at this. Amen. I was envious of them. But you go a little further in chapter or Psalm 73, and he says in verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Here I'm trying to be faithful to God I'm trying to to, to endure I'm trying to to go through the journey and yet it seems like everybody else is being prospering and they're wicked but he said it was until I went to the sanctuary of God then I understood their end the Bible says that all things work together for good To them who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. We we quote that scripture and some can get angry thinking, what do you mean all things work together? Uh, Look at what I'm going through. Look at what I'm having to face. Uh, Look what I'm having to endure. Uh, And I realized at that moment uh, it would be just like David to think, well, what good is this uh, living for God, this life I'm trying to live? Uh, It just doesn't seem like anything uh, is working out. Uh, That's why the writer uh, Paul in Romans says all things work together for good. Uh, end result will always be good. You've got to trust Him in the process. You've got to understand that the the, the journey may not be easy and there may not be no shortcuts available, but if you'll hang in there, the end will be worthwhile. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Oh, what a happy ending it's going to be. What a, what a wonderful time it's going to be. It will be worth it all. Every heartache, every trial, every, every enduring moment, it will be worth it all. Hallelujah. Proverbs tells us, amen, chapter 13 and verse 15, but the way of a transgressor is hard. I'm telling you, friend, I don't want to live any other way. I, I, I've been where David was. I, I, I've looked and wondered many times, thinking, God, what, what, what's, all, what's all this about? Why, why, why aren't I experiencing those blessings? What, what, where, where, have I, where have I gone wrong? It's not where I've gone wrong. I've just got to understand that God has a purpose and a plan. Amen. Everything I'm doing, I can't shortcut anything. I can't bring something to a quick end. But if I will fa- be faithful and trust God, God will see me through everything I'm facing there is a song entitled it's not over 
when God is in it. It says, it's not over. It's not finished. It's not ending. It's only the beginning. When God is in it, all things are new. I know it's darkest just before dawn. Might be the hardest season you experience. I know it hurts. It won't be too long. You're closer than you think you are. You're closer than you've been before. Because the difference is, when God is in it, it's not over. It's not ending. But God is working on your behalf. And you've got to hold true. And you've got to keep your mindset that it may be tough today. But it's worth it if you just keep going. God God is going to see you through every situation. Hallelujah. What happened to it anyway? What happened to the ark of God? Why, why, why do we have to read the scripture that we read in our text in 2 Samuel? Why, why was David having to go get the ark of the covenant? Why wasn't it in its rightful place? Amen. The ark of the covenant. Why were they having to move it to begin with? Well, you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4. The Bible says the word of, of Samuel came to all of Israel. Israel went out to the battle against the Philistines. and They encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped at Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in battle against Israel. And when they joined the battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men. Amen. When the people come back to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Let's bring it from Shiloh to where we are. And when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. It seems as if that the Israelites viewed the ark of God superstitiously, if you will, believing that there was some divine power to be in the ark itself rather than in God. Amen. See, there's a problem is created when the miraculous becomes the mundane. Amen. When, when, when the miraculous becomes just the ordinary. Amen. The Ark of the Covenant was the inexquisite piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Amen. But this was not the only time that something that was so miraculous had become mundane. Matter of fact, there are several instances one of which in Numbers chapter 11, we shared this a few weeks ago, but there was a mixed multitude that was among them. The Bible says they fell a lusting. And the children of Israel, they began to weep. And they asked, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish, amen, which we did eat in, in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna. <laughs> manna. It got old. It was getting mundane. Amen. It was, it was becoming a, 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 a problem. They, they were getting tired of it. Amen. And, and they, were, they were wishing for, for, for the food that they were able to have in, in Egypt. But the problem with that is, is, is that was where they were in bondage. And so they, they started lusting. And they got to thinking, oh, I, I, you know what? I'd almost be willing to go back into bondage in order to get some meat. In order to get that old food. Amen. And all the while they were surrounded by the miraculous but when the miraculous becomes mundane amen God the Bible says he would commune with his people 
from the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus chapter 25, amen, the instructions that God was giving Moses, amen, is you shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark, and the Ark you shall put the testimony that I have given you, and there I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. Amen. That between the two cherubims which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I give you in commandment to the children of Israel. This is our meeting place. This is where my presence will be. It was again a very, very exquisite piece of furniture. Amen. The scripture, and I've referenced to this before, but, but when it comes to the uh, the stars in the sky, the Bible says in the King James Version, and he made the stars also. Five or six words there. That's all it is. But when it comes to the tabernacle in the wilderness, there are some 50 chapters in Scripture that describe the building and the handling of the tabernacle in the wilderness. God was very specific and he was very precise. Everything had to be done to his exact specifications. Just as with Noah, the design that God gave him to build the ark, it had to be followed precisely. Or I believe that if he would not have done that, it would not have sustained them during the flood. There was no place where Noah could do a shortcut. Amen. I, it's debated, but I think it's around 120 years or however long. It took him a while to build the ark. Could he have built it quicker? Maybe. But he'd have had to do some shortcuts. And I'm telling you, you don't shortcut God's plan. You don't, you, don't make it, uh, you don't make it to accommodate you, but you make sure you accommodate His plan. Amen. You don't make it to fit your lifestyle, but you make your life to fit it. Why? Because it's so important. Noah, if you don't do this, if you don't make it out of gopher wood, if you don't pitch it on the inside and the outside, if you don't make it three levels, if you don't put one window, all these things, all the dimensions that God gave Noah, God, Noah, if you don't do it this way, there's a problem. It ain't going to float. <laughs> Amen. Again, I, I've read some things. I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer, but I, I've read somewhere where they say that, that the, the, the boat, uh, the ark, uh, in the dimensions that, that was given, it really was not designed to, to float. It's kind of like a bumblebee. A bumblebee should not be able to fly from an engineer's point of view. But have you ever seen a bumblebee fly? Yeah. That's the way God designed him. I don't understand. The engineers may not understand. I don't either. And, and they say the ark probably should not have floated. I, I, I don't know. I'm not an engineer. But I'm telling you, I believe the reason why it did, amen, is because he built it the way God said. If he would have built it exactly the way an engineer said it should have been built, but if it was not the way that God said, I don't believe it would have floated because you cannot shortcut God's plan. The tabernacle. In the wilderness, it was a mobile church. Amen. It wasn't to be built and stay there. They moved. Matter of fact, I believe they moved it about 36 different times. And there was quite a process that had to be done according to God's instruction for it to move. Well, you may ask, Pastor, why, why, would, you, why would they ever want to move? Well, when the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud, whenever it would move, they had to go with it. 
They had to stay with the presence of God. It was the presence of God that was sustaining them in the desert. I'm telling you, I'm just like Moses. Lord, if you're not going, I ain't going either. But if you go, I'll follow you because I want to be where you are. And so they would move. And the process of moving, it was quite, quite a process. In Numbers chapter 1, <coughs> verse 51, when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites, the priest, shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near will be put to death. So it was the Levites' job to, to, to tear it down and then to build it back. You had, amen, there, specifically there were three sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Each of their sons, as they grew, amen, had specific jobs. Amen. Everyone had a specific duty. In Numbers chapter 4 and verse 4, in this, this is the servant, the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting, <clears throat> relating to the most holy things. It was Gershon and his sons that were responsible for taking the walls down and making sure all of the skins and all the curtains and everything was in order and, and packed and where we get to the next location. But it was the sons of Kohath that would enter into the Holy of Holies. And it was their responsibility to move the Ark of the Covenant. Matter of fact, they were not allowed to help in taking down the veil. They were not allowed to help in taking down any of the curtains that surrounded the Holy of Holies. Matter of fact, they had to stand in a certain position or otherwise they would not, they would, they would be perished or they would perish. But when everything was done ahead of them, then they would go in and they would take the poles and they would put it in the holders of the Ark of the Covenant and then they would carry the Ark of the Covenant. In Numbers chapter 7, we find where Moses is giving tools to the various Levites. It says that Moses took the carts and the oxen and he gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service. Four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the sons of Kohath, he gave none. <laughs> because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. If you're a son of Kohath, and Moses has given oxen and carts, what's that to do? That's to make their job easier. It's a whole lot easier if the oxen carries it and you don't have to. But you're standing in line waiting to get your oxen or your cart, but you're a son of Kohath. Moses says, you ain't getting nothing. Why? What's wrong with me? It ain't nothing wrong with you. It's your, your duty is to handle the holy things of God. You cannot drive what was designed to be carried. I don't understand it. I don't really know why. Uh, again, maybe, maybe more study, we could come to a little more understanding of, of what, what they were thinking when they went to go get the Ark of the Covenant. I, I'm just going to think it the way I would have thought it. I'm not saying this is what they did, but this is what I, in my own, my own mind, would be, 
You know what? This is the ark of God. We understand it's a very valuable piece. We understand. David understood what it represented. And, and, and he, he was doing a good thing. It needed to get back to its rightful place. But they obviously didn't understand the whole context. Because they thought, well, we'll, we'll, get them a, we'll get it a brand new cart. We won't just put it on any ordinary cart, but we'll get a brand new cart. I mean, because we understand this is the ark of God. But they still did not understand the context. No matter how new the cart was, no matter how fancy the cart was, no matter any of that, you cannot drive what was designed to be carried. A man lost his life. Because they tried driving what only could be carried. We live in a world today that's looking for the the latest shortcut. Easy believism. I'm here to tell you, friend. Hey, I'm not here to throw stones at nobody. But this here is the word of God. There's no shortcutting this. I I, I can't make it convenient to my life. I've got to, my life has got to line up with this. And any type of shortcut I try to make, guess what? I'm risking my own life among others. That's why I don't want to try to drive something that's designed to carry. But, 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 but pastor, it gets heavy. I know it does. I, I realize there'd be easier ways of doing it. I, I realize that, that there'd be more convenient things we could do. But I'm telling you, you cannot drive what was meant to be carried. Oh, but, but, but pastor, so many others are doing this. I, I realize that. I'm, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to judge, but I'm here to tell you, we've got to stay with what the book says. And we've got we've to, if it says it's got to be carried, we've got to carry it. But it's so burdening, pastor. I understand that. I realize there are days it gets heavier than others. But I'm telling you, amen, the same God that gave them the supernatural strength to carry, amen, what would be thousands of pounds is the same God that will enable you and I to endure unto the end. There's always an easier way. There's always a shortcut to be found. I'm not, I'm not preaching that there's not. But I'm preaching, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tell all of us here today, we need to quit looking for the shortcut. Quit looking for the easy way. Amen. And just trust that if God's designed it to be carried, that He will give you the strength that you need in order to carry it to your destination. Oh God. I realize we're living in a different generation. Amen. I saw a post the other day, all this snow, and it had a it was just snow everywhere. Somebody said, I guess this is the road that my grandpa used to have to walk up to school every day. (laughs) Amen. There's no doubt that our elders, you lived in a different generation. Amen. Hard work. I am am just simply amazed when I look at old things. I'm becoming one almost, but I look at old things. And I I see the, the, the ingenuity the engineering, and I'm wondering how in the world did they do that back then? I, I, I was watching a, well, well, it wasn't a video, but it was a, it was a bunch of pictures of, of the building of, of the Empire State Building. And there's these crazy men 
that are out there on these I-beams hundreds of feet in the air. They have no safety harnesses. They're eating their lunch. Thinking, how in the world? If there would not be an Empire State Building, it would be, what would be the opposite of empire? It would be like... <laughs> Knee-high State Building. But I'm just thinking, but not, not just the courage, but they didn't have the machinery that we have today. But look what they did. I, I, I think of, you know, back, back in the early uh, 20th century when, when the World War was starting off and, and I look at all the, all the ships and the airplanes and I, I just read a book a few months ago about, about the B-17 bomber and I, I forget the figures, but it's an amazing amount of, of planes that, that, number one, that were lost. Hundreds of planes were lost, but how many they built and, and how quickly they were able to build them. I'm just like, wow, that didn't just happen. But people went to work. People went and went above and beyond what, what they thought they could ever do. And because of hard work, they were able to accomplish so much. When I was a kid, oh, here I go. I'm, I'm sorry. I, my dad would always say that. And I would think, Dad, don't go there. And here I am doing it. When I was a kid, I was about seven or eight years old. I had a paper route. And every morning they would throw the papers at my door and I'd have to get up and I'd have to roll the papers and I'd have to put rubber bands on them. If it was calling for rain, I had to put them in plastic bags. And then I had me a paper bag that you put all your papers in. I'd put it over my shoulder. And guess what? I had to walk and deliver papers. I'd deliver papers. And then once a month, I'd have to go around. I'd have to collect the fees. I did that for, for quite a while. I, I, it took me a long time, but I, I made $80. And I bought a little 13-inch black and white TV. I was so proud of that possession. It's kind of crazy, but anyway. But, but I, I remember the, the sense of accomplishment. I was seven, eight, seven years old out there delivering papers. Amen. And, and I, I remember my dad telling me the stories of how he would go out and he would mow yard. He would shovel sidewalks. And you just don't see that anymore. We live in a generation that, that, that has gotten lazy. I, I think I can say it that way, can't I? They don't understand work ethic. My, 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 whole, my whole point of that is this. I, I, I think it, it will, and oftentimes does, it bleeds over into the church. We cannot look for the easy way in this. Amen. But I'm telling you, I don't want to make any shortcuts. I, 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 wanna, I want my life to line up to what the Word of God says. Because any time that I try to make it easy, there are lives that will be at stake. We're getting ready to land. You cannot drive what was designed to be carried. Amen. What we have felt here this morning, the presence of God. Can I tell you this today, that this presence we feel, it was not generated by the melody that was being played on a piano. It wasn't even really generated just by the wonderful, talented voices of those who, who sing in our praise band. Thank God for that talent. And I know that the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. I believe that. But let me tell you where the glory of God is really generated. It is in the life of people who are consecrated. It's not just in how good we can sing or how loud we can shout. But it's that early morning time of prayer 
that we meet at an altar with just us and God. It's that time where we, where we focus and become a student of this book. When we lay other things to the side and we say, God, you're my heartbeat. I hunger for more of you. I need more of you. I, I, I'll push the plate back, Lord, in order to find that in you. I'm telling you, that consecration, you can't shortcut it. I don't want a generic form. I really don't. I want the origin. I want the original. Hallelujah. I want, amen, what this book declares that I can have. It's for you and I today. The promises of God are yea and amen. Amen. He's able to do everything that he has promised. You say, Pastor, I believe that. I've read that same scripture, but, boy, I seem like I'm so far from it. It seems like I'm so far away from actually accomplishing that. Can I encourage you today? I realize it gets weary. I realize the burden gets heavy. But don't shortcut it. Keep going. You're closer than you really think you are. You're further along than what you realize. It's not nearly as hopeless as what the enemy would like for you to believe. Don't, don't, don't shortcut it now. Don't be looking for a cart. Just, just keep carrying. Keep taking another step. I assure you today, not, not you, not us, not our ability, but I assure you today that your God and my God, amen, He'll give you the ability. He'll help you through. This morning as we stand, Pastor, it sure would be a lot easier though. I, I'm, not, I'm not even trying to deny that. But I am denying the effectiveness of it. And I'm also going to make this statement that even though it would be easier, it wouldn't be worth it. It really wouldn't. The Bible says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment... It worketh for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight in glory. Whatever the trial is, there's a purpose to the pain. It's, I'm telling you, it's worth carrying it a little further. Amen. God isn't finished 